Sue Ann, why aren't you just doing the show from the pool? That would be much more fun. The pool with my bathing suit on? Well, I, you know, it might be good for donations. Oh, I don't know. I think it scare people away, <laughs> despite the weight loss. <laughs> I don't just know, Harris, what do you think? Just making, making the audience jealous down in Florida, it looks like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it certainly does that. All right, let's get this started. Welcome to Off the Record. This is True North's newest show where we all uh, shed our inhibitions and pretenses and let loose, cut loose, let loose. We, we both cut and let loose on the stories of the week, some of which we've talked about on our show and have reported on, but we do it in a more casual and informal way. And we have uh, tried to have anyway, some fun in the process. Uh, we've had great feedback on this so far. So hopefully we'll get to some of your responses as the show progresses. Last time we forgot, and uh, this time I might forget too, because I just remembered now. So uh, we do eventually want to read your comments on this. Anyway, uh, joined by Harrison Faulkner, host of Ratioed and The Faulkner Show, and also Sue Ann Levy. Uh, great to have you both on. How are the weeks? I'll start with you, Sue Ann, because your week will just make Harrison and I jealous because we're in Ontario, Ontario weather right now. It's been wonderful. Actually, the weather has improved tremendously after two months of pretty kakapuku poo-poo weather, you know, clouds and rain. So it's really nice to see. And I went to the beach yesterday. Harrison, you didn't go to the beach yesterday, did you? No, I'm afraid not. The uh, Cherry Beach down in Toronto wasn't, doesn't sound as, as, uh, as appealing as a Florida beach right now. <laughs> the, week was, the week was all right, but it was a little strange. Like we had some, we, we passed a grim mark with the church burnings. We had some very strange interactions with journalists. We'll go through all that on the show, but you know, it was just another week in another week in Trudeau's Canada, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Just, I just on the the beaches in Toronto, very very misleading. Because I used to work uh, when I worked in radio, I worked at Chorus Key, which is on the waterfront, and I was told, "Oh, you'll be right next to Sugar Beach," and I'm like, "Oh, a beach? That seems like a weird place for a beach." And then you look out the window, and it's just like this fake, like I don't know, like 200 square feet of sand in between a sugar factory and a radio station. I'm like, this is not what a beach is. I want the the Sue Ann type of beach, but, but there are in pink any umbrellas event, on that beach, aren't there, Andrew? They're, they're yeah, very yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can put umbrellas up. That doesn't make it like plus thirty degrees <laughs> and salt water. It's uh, like I don't even know if you. I don't even know if you can go in the water there. I think it's like just like a an over. I just don't get it. I just don't get what Sugar Beach is supposed to be. That's it. If you're from Alberta, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? So uh, let's talk about something that can unite us all, which is the spectacle that is Pierre Polyev versus the media. Uh, This has become a dog bites man type of story. There are just so many instances of Pierre Polyev and journalists scrapping. The most recent one, I talked about it a bit on my show, was him with a Canadian press reporter on, well, just take a look. Your party, why did your party want to grant over $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? We don't want to give uh, any tax dollars to the mainstream media. We, our belief is that the mainstream media and all... Do you regret your decision then, uh, your party's decision no, to grant regulatory okay. relief? So I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, the media that is bought and paid for, which, where are you from by the way? Which, which outlet are you in? Which outlet? Which outlet? Canadian Press. Ah, okay. Canadian Press. So you're talking about tax dollars for media. Is, isn't CBC regulatory your biggest... Gra- isn't, no, I, I can answer... I asked regulatory 
Yeah, yeah. Any, uh, you want to answer? Do want to grant $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? When would you like me to respond? Okay, good. Okay, great. So, of course, you are a tax-funded media outlet and uh, spreading Justin Trudeau's message. Why did you and, and, and so you're, you're, you're interrupting me again. Well, you're interrupting me again. I am answering the question. Do you, do you regret yeah, granting $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? Your question is false. So if you can allow me to correct your falsehoods, then we can, we can answer the question directly. So, false. Canadian Conservatives do not believe in giving tax dollars to media outlets. That's Justin Trudeau. That's Justin Trudeau. That's Justin Trudeau. Okay, if you, if, you, if you don't want me to answer the question, I'll move on to someone else. You're, you're a tax-funded tax mouthpiece to the PMO. That's the reality. So, question answered. You committed I'm trying to. I'm trying to, but you're heckling. Are you going to let me answer the question, or are you just going to heckle on behalf of Justin Trudeau? Which is it? I would love the answer. Great. So our, our party does not support tax dollars for media outlets, because that's when we end up with biased media like you, who come here and articulate the PMO talking points rather than uh, delivering uh, real news to the Canadian people. Justin Trudeau gave Bell Media and other media tax dollars supposedly to protect media jobs. And then what happened? They all got laid off. So the, so the, the supposed justification for giving, giving Bell all this money was that it was going to save media jobs. Well, they all got fired, so I guess that wasn't the real reason for giving tax dollars to the media. The real reason was for him to buy support from the media, which is what it actually did. So we believe that media should be driven by readership, viewership, and listenership, and that's what allows it to, to represent the Canadian people rather than taking marching orders from the PMO. <laughs> All right, on a scale of cringe to stick it into my veins, where are you on those sorts of exchanges, Harrison? I, I, I'm all for it at this point. I really am. I, I have to say that the conservative base was crying out for someone to finally address the legacy media this way, and we've got it. Um, you know, not everybody is satisfied with Pierre Polyev so far, but I think it'd be tough for many conservatives in this country to say that they don't enjoy seeing the Canadian press and CBC get treated this way when they ask ridiculous questions like that. So I think, you know what, I'm all for it. I think it, it's, it's well past time that some of the legacy media press in this country got a taste of their own medicine and were treated with the kind of respect that they themselves deserve, which is not a lot. Yeah, Sue Ann, you've been a, a political candidate in the past. You've also been, uh, for, for much more of your life, a, a journalist. How do, you, uh, how do you look at those sorts of in exchanges? Delicious, they're absolutely delicious. Love them. I spent uh, 20 years at City Hall in Toronto, and I was the uh, lone person out asking tough questions. And I always got put down by the person I was asking the questions of, particularly the mayors. Um, and everybody else would laugh and find it quite funny. And it's nice to see the shoe on the other foot. And the thing that really, really um, makes me happy and find it delicious is that Pierre is so cool about it. He doesn't get ruffled in the slightest. He has a great technique. And it's it's about time, as Harrison said, that these people were called out because it. I find it despicable. So you don't take the Pascal Saint-Ange view. I, I infer from your answer that this is an attack on democracy. She, she really said this. Take a look. I just want to get back uh, on the altercation between 
Pierre Poilievre yesterday and a journalist from Canadian Press. Uh, first of all, I want to say that he's pretty thin-skinned. Uh, it's our job when we're politicians to answer questions from journalists. We're accountable to the Canadian population, and it's the journalist's job to ask those questions. Some questions are difficult. Some questions are easy. Yesterday's question was pretty easy. Uh, he was just asked to explain why his party introduced an amendment to lift fees for uh, Canadian broadcasters. It's a pretty easy question. It's, it's his party that brought that forward. So yes, when you're a politician, you need to answer questions. And when you're attacking the press, when you're attacking our free press, you're also attacking democracy. It's unworthy of a leader. Now, I, I should just say, I've never interviewed uh, Minister Saint-Ange. My one attempt at doing so, uh, it was a couple of months ago, she was leaving question period. It was around the time that there was a, a big uh, kerfuffle about C-18 and, and the Facebook news ban and all of that. And I, I had one question and she got into the back of her limo so quickly and uh, passed me off to a staffer who said to text him, and I did, and I never heard a response. So this whole, oh, we are there to answer questions. Yeah, a load of crap. Uh, so Harrison, attack on democracy, what do you think? Well, it's a lot easier to answer questions from the media when you pay them off to write soft articles about you. It's a whole different story when you're the opposition to the government that's stuffing the pockets of the media. You know, I should also say that Journalists and the politicians are supposed to have a combative relationship. They're not supposed to be patting each other on the back. They're not supposed to be, you know, treating each other with kid gloves. A sign of a good democracy is when the journalists fight back against the politicians and the politicians have a right to dish it back as good as they receive it. So again, this is just completely ridiculous. And one more thing, giving them money, giving them, giving media the taxpayer dollars is a lot different than lifting taxes on broadcasters and anyone who pretends as though that's the same is obviously just trying to confuse the public and push political talking points yeah what's what's your read on that sue ann well i think you know she is a giant hypocrite i mean all we have to do is look at some of the uh tape i mean the proof is in the pudding then the tape of uh krista freeland for example calling uh security uh, and roughing up uh, one of our colleagues from uh, Rebel Media, Dave Menzies. I mean, Dave is a character and sometimes he asks for it, but in this case he didn't, he asked a hard question. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really quite hypocritical to hear her talk that way because I don't know about you guys, but I was uh, muted, uh, banned on Twitter, uh, blocked, you name it, by politicians who didn't want to answer my hard questions. So it's kind of rich to hear her talk that way. Yeah, and, and also let's not forget Justin Trudeau is the guy who will, you know, say, oh, the Globe and Mail story is false. The guy who bans media he doesn't like from oh, being there. Right. So it's not even like they're living up to this lofty aspirational goal that they're setting out for others of, oh, we'll take all questions whether we like them or not. Yeah. They never do. They never mm -hmm. do. They they cherry pick and most politicians do that they cherry pick the ones that are from the friendly media uh the amount of softballs that i during my career heard other media lob at various and sundry politicians was appalling i mean nobody ever really got you know many many sides of the story or the hard side of the story so i mean listening to her the the big difference harrison and andrew is that now we've got somebody who's actually fighting back and it's about yeah. time.
Yeah, and it, it flips the script. Like the next election, because we're used to seeing the whole like deferential thing that uh, Aaron O'Toole and, and Andrew Shear did. So uh, we will keep an eye out for that. Uh, this is a, a story that uh, really w was quite shocking, and I, I want to get both of you to weigh in on this. Uh, but let's play the video. And just to set the stage for it here, this is a very heated demonstration that was taking place outside a Richmond City Council meeting in British Columbia. The discussion was about a proposed supervised injection site, a, a so-called safe uh, drive by my quote, so I need to like bring in more, a so-called uh, safe injection site in Richmond, which people in the suburban community clearly didn't like, hence them coming out to be heard and be heard before city council. But then this happened. <laughs> I've lived here my whole life. Go back where you came from. You're not a Canadian. This is what this uh, nice white BC progressive woman is yelling at this Chinese man uh, concerned about his community. Now, when did go back where you came from become a progressive slur? Because I was always told this was what, you know, the evil, scary right wingers say, not uh, the nice virtuous lefties. Yeah, well, we heard that from the from the people who are protesting the Freedom Convoy as well, mm -hmm. weren't, didn't we? It is becoming one of those new progressive slurs against those who they disagree with, how the tables turn, I guess. But I, notice what that woman says there. You know, this is not Canada. Apparently, she thinks Canada is supposed to be a country where every city is infested with drug addicts and with the destruction that comes with it. I, I guess that's what she wants for Canada. And anyone who disagrees with that must go back to where they come from. Well, I, I'm come from Canada and I don't want to see my city, although it already has been in Toronto, turned into a drug infested wasteland, but it's just completely ridiculous. But again, what you're seeing is sort of the, the crumbling of, of the left here, uh, falling into the traps that they set for their opponents. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, I don't know this man who was in that, and I, I feel bad he was subjected to that, but oftentimes, I've always said, immigrants have a, a much more idealized version of what Canada is and should be than many people who were born here, because they chose to be here. They chose to come here, and this guy then sees people overrunning his community with uh, these policies, which are magnets for crime. You've covered these sites, Sue Ann. Like, so who, who is more Canadian? The, the Asian man that says, I don't want this in my neighborhood, or the progressive woman screaming at him well obviously the asian man um you know all they have to do all these people is walk to uh, east uh in vancouver the east uh, side of town downtown vancouver and see what a safe injection site has produced i mean it's a, a drug addict wasteland uh i was there last year and uh it actually made me physically ill to see the way these people are living and allowed to live on the street you know uh, in their fentanyl poses, in, you know, in their uh, urine, on their urine-soaked so sidewalks. I mean, I've said this repeatedly, and, and then it came to Toronto, and people are seeing what, how these sites 
destroy communities. And frankly, I've been against them for over 10 years, maybe 15, uh, when Vancouver first started. But frankly, uh, they don't help drug addicts. They just enable their drug addictions. And all the arguments that were used initially to bring them in, I don't think hold muster anymore because they're still opium opioid deaths, uh, and they, they can't argue that these things are helping at all. All they're doing is destroying the fabrics of communities. Go to downtown Toronto and you'll see drug addicts lying on the yeah. street. Well, yeah, and that's the thing here. I mean, when was Insight in Vancouver, which was sort of the first one? That has to be, what, 15, 15 years ago now that that came up? And, yeah. and anyone can look at British Columbia and Vancouver specifically and, and see clearly none of this has helped. I mean, the situation has gotten exponentially worse. So at, at best, it's made no difference at all. And at worst, it's inflamed this. But that's the part that's missing is that more of the same is not going to yield a different result. So uh, the fact that there's was such anger in that video, I just is so insane, Harrison. Yeah. And the reality is it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked at all. It is not saving yeah. lives. This is, these are these are political talking points, political dogma running up against a brick wall, which happens to be the truth. You know, British Columbia set the highest annual death toll for opioid overdoses just last year. And this, as you said, has been going on for years now. It's the leading cause of death in British Columbia for youth aged 10 to 18, opioid overdose. And now the BC government is considering providing safe fentanyl to children. I mean, anyone who thinks that this is saving lives as the as the addiction to mental health minister at the federal level will constantly repeat, or as British Columbia officials themselves will repeat, is running ex at extreme odds with the truth. And they're just, they have, they have their eyes shut. They don't, they don't want to address the fact that this is making life worse, it's ruining communities, and it's ruining lives. It's killing people. Yeah, and let's not forget the shooting last summer of that poor yeah. innocent woman mm -hmm. right near a safe injection site in Riverdale in Toronto and people, the community was in an uproar and the people who run the site and the health minister, deputy minister, they were downright cavalier about the crime that is occurring around these sites. Drug dealers know that they're a, a, a target. I actually saw drug dealing in action because I've spent a lot of time outside some of these sites um, or around these sites. I mean, it's absurd that the progressives think that this is helping in any way. It's the best definition of insanity, frankly. And I just want to add one more thing as yeah. well. Take a look in Toronto. If you happen to live in Toronto, you will know that the works, the public health uh, city mm. of Toronto department is, uh, is on Ryerson University campus. So students who pay to go to university have to walk past a safe injection site, a site where they give out, where they give out uh, uh, all of these safe supply drugs, as they're called. It's just constant destruction and havoc on campus. So the city thinks that, that thinks that that's appropriate. Uh, Sue Ann, you brought up the Parkdale shooting. Uh, there was a woman who, who worked at that facility who has now been charged because she yeah. helped to try and get this, get the killer, these, the alleged killer away from the police. I mean, it's astonishing. These are, as you said, Andrew, crime magnets. And for somebody, some activist to, to be so racist and awful in front of that person who just wants to live in a community that is not infested with yeah. drugs says a lot. 
Yeah, and I should say, of course, the activists won out in this case. The motion to uh, consider implementing this site uh, passed with a vote of seven to two. It was just two councillors who stood against it. Now, it's not a fait accompli just yet, but the way things are going, it, it certainly seems like that is likely to be the uh, eventual outcome here. But uh, speaking of unhinged protesters, uh, let's talk about what happened at Mount Sinai Hospital. They, I, again, this one is... I, I shouldn't even be surprised anymore. Like you think there are some sacred cows that uh, remain in uh, the context of political debate, but not when we are talking about the anti-Israel left. Uh, take a look at this clip. I mean, 10 out of 10 on the climb, uh, 8 out of 10 on the rhythm of the chant, 0 out of 10 on everything else. Uh, Sue Ann, I'll, I'll just, you know, give you the floor on, on this one as our uh, Torontonian and also a Jewish woman who's uh, been on the front lines of, of this anti-Semitism stuff for years. Yeah, you know, uh, Andrew and Harrison, this goes back to the fact that the police and uh, Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow didn't handle this well right out of the gate, and they enabled these people and empowered them to continue their protests. Uh, the last I spoke with the police, there were, I guess this makes it about 495 protests uh, in Toronto by mostly the anti-Israel uh, left radicals. I call them terrorists. Um, they are, their, their tactics are intimidating you know, to strike a Jewish hospital. Somehow they thought that related to Gaza and what's going on in the hospitals there, although that is all propaganda because uh, the IDF never struck any hospitals as that mm -hmm. has been proven. But um, they just, um, many of them are people who are just totally indoctrinated, ignorant of the reality of what's going on. Um, and they just get caught up in the, in the, the craziness. I mean, they just, they've found a purpose. I follow all of them on social media and I follow the leaders and uh, somehow they think that these protests are going to help in some way. Uh, I think they're all mentally unstable, frankly. And um, I think that um, the police and they're now handling it much better, but you know, there were weeks and weeks, like almost eight weeks of them not handling it well. And this has just encouraged this, this craziness. More charges should be laid. I mean, the mm -hmm. person, when, when politicians give their platitudes and make their statements like Olivia Chow did and the others, like, you let this happen. I want to say, you let this happen. So it's rather, again, I'm going to use the word rich to be coming out and saying this. And, and Jews in my community are feeling very intimidated to strike a Jewish hospital mm -hmm. is outrageous. Uh, you, you mentioned Olivia Chow. So she did eventually condemn this and mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau eventually did mm -hmm. as well and, and Doug Ford. And uh, so so they all eventually did. But it was notable how slow they were compared mm -hmm. to if there had been, you know, an attack on a mosque. And, and we've seen this happen. But uh, the way that the left responds to this. So Olivia Chow, who's been like a darling of the, the far left and the even farther left. 
for years. Uh, Olivia Chow puts out her condemnation on Twitter. I won't read the whole day, but, but Nora, real communism has never been tried. Loretto uh, decides to respond this way. Let's put up her uh, post on X. She says, Chow betrays everything it means to be progressive. Now, uh, I leave that up, though, for a second, because uh, Olivia Chow says a hospital is a sanctuary. Yesterday's actions were unacceptable. Targeting Jewish institutions is anti-Semitic and hate has no place in our city. So when Nora says this betrays everything she means to be, everything it means to be progressive, she's saying the quiet part out loud, which is that what we saw in that video is what it means to be progressive. Right, Harrison? Well, certainly it's a mask off moment for Nora Loretto and for, I think, a lot of people who agree with her to speak to the protesters' mental instability, as Sue Ann noted. I can't think of a, a, a worse way to try and alienate Canadians from your cause than to protest like this in front of a hospital that has nothing to do with what these people are protesting about. Now, I mm -hmm. think that there are some people who protest Israel who don't protest out of out of out of racism and they have they have they have uh, they have things that they want they they disagree with Israel on but when you're protesting Mount Sinai Hospital to make this to make the claim that that is purely anti-Israel pro-Palestine and not anti-Semitic I have a hard time believing that and you really can't good luck trying to sell that to the Canadian public as well because I've seen these protests I've been inside of these protests I've interviewed these people when you speak to them they of course, understand that they're trying to, you know, get their cause out to the public and they want people to join their cause. But mm -hmm. in that group mentality, it seems that they lose all sense of reality and they're willing to push the boundaries all the way to blatant anti-Semitism. And, and, and of course, the consequence of that is alienating Canadians from their cause, whatever, whatever, whatever kind of Canadians were, were still perhaps, uh, you know, willing to support these people because they're just showing themselves to not actually care that much about what's going on. They care more about trying to make a statement about Israel, which, of course, is a statement about Jews. So it's just yeah. ridiculous. It, it's a deep-rooted, deep-rooted uh, Jew hatred, deep-rooted Jew hatred. And, uh, you know, it started with targeting uh, Café Landoir, Aroma, mm -hmm. remember, uh, at the beginning, um, and going in front of the Israeli consulate. Well, that's, you know, you could make a, a, a sort of stretch it that that, is related to Israel uh, more so, but to target Jewish businesses, Indigo, the people who were charged with Indigo, didn't think they did anything wrong, even though they engaged in civil disobedience. All these actions were not targeting Israel, they were targeting Jews. Let's make it, you know, pure and simple, frank statement. They were targeting Jews. When people write me on Twitter and say, you are a Zionist pig or you're an evil Zionist, they mean I'm an evil Jew. They're not talking about Israel. It has nothing to do with it. And also, yeah, and I think on that point, I believe that anti-Semitism and anti-Israel sentiments can be distinct. I, I believe they mm -hmm. can be. But right. the Venn diagram is a lot more like a circle than these people tend to admit. And I, I right. think that when push comes to shove, the nuanced, reasoned, moderate, non-anti-Semitic critique of Israel is uh, basically as elusive as, you know, the Yeti in the wilderness of the Himalayas or something. Uh, mm -hmm. Because nine times out of ten, it's just trying to put lipstick on a, a very anti-Semitic pig. Yeah, and, and they, they talk about, uh, you know, you're genocidal. You support genocide. This is the repeated comment I get. 
you're, you know, Zionist. They use the word Zionist. They use the word Hasbro. And you, like you say, they're trying to put lipstick on what is really deep-seated anti-Semitism. And as well, the, these protesters will say this is about human rights. This is about protecting Muslims who are being killed by Israel. But these protesters don't care about the Uyghurs in China. They don't speak up about other Muslims who are being killed by other Muslim countries. They speak up when it has to do with Israel. It's clear this has nothing to do with human rights because they have lots they have lots to protest about if it was really just about human rights. It's not. It's about Israel. And as Sue Ann says, it's something much worse, much deeper. We, we say in the Jewish community, if it's Jews, it's news. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. I, I When I was in Israel uh, for the first time in, in 2011, I, I met an AP reporter there who said, you know, when and he spoke Hebrew as he was Jewish, and that was how he got the job being posted there when he was quite young. And he said, like, people at AP bureaus around the world are lucky if their stories ever get picked up, where he said for him, it was like, if someone sneezes in Jerusalem, he could write a story and it's going to get picked up everywhere. So I think there's some some empirical evidence uh, behind what you just said there, Sue Ann. Uh, just to end things, I mean, I know it's a bit of a sour note as we head into the weekend here, but Harrison, why don't you tell us what happened in Regina uh, last weekend? And more importantly, what happened in Ottawa in the days following? Yes, of course. Well, uh, as Canadians who've been following this story will know, Canada was rapidly approaching the grim 100 number of churches that have been targeted by arsonists and vandals uh, since 2021. We've now since passed that. We are now at 100 churches that have been targeted uh, in this country. And on Saturday, or on Friday midnight rather, the Blessed Sacrament Parish in Regina was targeted by an arsonist who was, in, who was caught on camera dumping the contents of a jerry can onto the rear entrance of this 118-year-old Catholic church, the oldest Catholic church in Regina, lighting it on fire and running away. Uh, thank God the church was saved by firefighters. But this is, we're now, we're now at 100 churches, which is an awful thing to have happened in this country. It's a blight on, uh, on the government and the state of our country itself. Now, here's where it gets even worse. You might think that condemning an attempted arson of a church might be the easiest thing to do. It might be the easiest no-brainer thing to say, yes, I condemn the burning of a church. But according to the NDP and the Liberals, well, that was just not going to fly. Take a look at what happened when a Saskatchewan MP, Corey Tuchor, I think I said his name right, he got up in the House of Commons on Monday and sought a unanimous consent motion to condemn the attempted arson at the Blessed Sacrament Parish. Take a look at this clip. The Honourable Member from Saskatchewan University, Saskatoon University. Yes, there was another attempted arson at a church on the weekend, Mr. Speaker. And if you seek unanimous consent, I, you will find... I hear that there is no unanimous consent. It being 3.20, the House will now proceed to the taking of deferred recorded division... So no, no, no unanimous consent to condemn the burning of that church. They did it again, however, guys. They, the, the left in Canada's parliament did it again when Andrew Scheer got up seeking the same motion. They let him speak for a little bit longer before cutting him off. But take a look. They did it twice, this time to Andrew Scheer. 
I recognize the Honourable Member, a former chair, a, a current House officer, the member from Regina Capel, who is rising on his feet for a point of order. Mr. Speaker, Blessed Sacrament Church in Regina was subject to uh, arson and vandalism, and I believe you'll find support that the House recognized the right of Canadians to gather to worship or celebrate their faith. In so I, I regret to interrupt the Honourable Member from uh, Regina Capel, but I could clearly see that there is no uh, unanimous consent for this. Absolutely disgusting. What kind of people, Andrew, can't bring themselves to condemn the burning of a church? It's like the lowest, 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 lowest hanging fruit. Like, it's not even hanging. It's fruit on the ground. You can yeah. just kind of walk by and just sort of pick it up and say, oh, wow, here you go. But like, you know, and it's it's one thing because I, I do believe that the anti-Semitism issues we've been discussing are, are very real. It's not an either or. You can condemn anti-Semitism. You can condemn uh, attacks against Christians. But again, Sue Ann, it's it's one group that tends to get a pass here. You know, it just to me speaks to the breakdown of the moral fabric in our country, that uh, they can't even uh, condemn something like this in a church. Uh, you know, perhaps these lefty progressives, uh, they don't like the police, they don't like religion, um, you know, and here we have drug addicts running wild and running rampant in on our streets in major cities. Um, I mean, the, it, it's I'm sad to say that Trudeau's Canada, I mean, in the last eight years, I mean, the decline in this country is real and it's it's very disheartening. There's a lot of symbolism going on, right, with these motions. And I think Christians who are watching this will have to struggle with the with the with with, with the idea that if they can't if these MPs can't condemn the burning of a church, what does that say about how they think about Christians in this country? I think a lot of people are going to be left to, to, with that question in their heads. Now, it's also important to remember this same parliament voted unanimously to condemn Canada of committing genocide mm -hmm. against First Nations people. So they could all agree on that. They could all agree that Canada committed genocide, but they can't agree to condemn the burning of a church. What do you think the reaction would be if, if not just not a hundred mosques, but one mosque had been the, had been the target of an attempted arson? It would be bedlam in the House of Commons. Everybody would be freaking out over it, and rightly so, I should say. But there oh, and, and Trudeau would have been on a plane there. He he would have been there exactly. uh, within hours. Uh, and that this is the thing that's happened. I mean, when there was that debunked, I mean, you would remember this, Sue Ann, because it happened in mm. Toronto. There was that debunked uh, hijab hoax where a young schoolgirl right. had, had basically falsified right. a claim that her hijab yep. was ripped off. And this was like, you know, Trudeau was condemning it. And then when Toronto police said, yeah, okay, this never happened. Uh, but, but therein lies the problem. Here we have video evidence. I, I don't think we need to play it, but video evidence of this arson attempt of police saying it and there you go you can see the the screen grab of it there and it is slow slow and to be honest i still don't think trudeau has said anything about it i know a couple of liberal mps have one of them anthony house father who's been quite strong on these sorts of issues but no nowhere near the condemnation like you said harrison if this had been at another type of institution which would also have been wrong yes all right. Fair enough. Well, All yeah, right. Well, I was uh, going to jump in there, but you know, no, I, yeah. I, I was just going to say that I think Trudeau at this point is just dialing it in. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think he's really running this country anymore. He's lost. Uh, he'd rather jet off somewhere. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I actually enjoy the, uh, the 
interplay between the people running for president down here because at least they th seem to be passionate about what's going on the border issues and all that kind of stuff uh, i don't i don't get that feeling from any of the people in the liberal party and particularly trudeau if that's the case and trudeau is really phoning it in and he's basically done what a way to bookend his time as prime minister in this country 100 yeah. churches attacked under his right. watch what i can't think of better symbolism quite frankly to, to to encapsulate trudeau's time as prime minister of this country yeah very very well said well that is all that we had but i i do want to give some comments because we we said we were going to well i don't know if we told told you we were going to we said internally we were going to uh a couple of comments from last week's show here uh be still and know 2999, possibly not a legal name, says, uh, love the off-the-record format. Yes, Andrew, it's endearing as opposed to highly unprofessional. You guys are a great trio. Well, it's not, as this show demonstrates, going to be the same group of us every show. We do this like cutthroat fight to the death. And at the end, we'll be left with only three left. So uh, we, we ditched Candace. She, uh, we threw her overboard. We brought Sue Ann in. Uh, maybe next week, I'm the one who is uh, thrown overboard. Uh, we have a, a question. So we were talking a little bit about inflation and grocery store uh, stuff last week. And uh, we were also talking about uh, Trudeau claiming that uh, Pierre Polyev wanted to make Canada great again. Uh, Doug Patterson says uh, we should actually just make groceries affordable again. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Should we should we see that? Should we trademark that one? <laughs> That's a good one. I think I think part of making Canada great again would make uh, would be making groceries affordable. Would be making life affordable. So they work together. But you know, uh, make Canada great again and, and make groceries affordable again. The the acronym doesn't sound doesn't sound as good as MAGA. Yeah, yeah, Macaga is uh, doesn't doesn't roll off the tongue. You're yeah. you're in MAGA territory uh, down there in Florida, Sue Ann, right? Yes, yes. The groceries are still pretty expensive here. I mean, I think it's part of a giant trend. And let's not forget the fuel, gas, gas yeah. as well. Oh, when I when I when I was in uh, Davos uh, with uh, Sean Thompson and, and Cosman Georgia from our team a few weeks ago, uh, reporting, we were not like Klaus Schwab's, you know, invited elites. We were we had a rental oh, car nice. and we were driving around and, and I never thought I could have a gas bill that would make me long for the gas prices in Canada. That's how bad it is. So I mean, the one saving grace is that in Europe, like we had this van and I forget how much it was like with the exchange rate, it was something like, you know, $200 to fill up the tank. It was insane. And we were uh, driving back and forth a whole bunch. Uh, we'll do one more comment here. We have uh, one. Who is this here? This is from uh, Woodjidges. Uh, you guys got to work on your YouTube uh, screen handles, by the way. Uh, it's regarding Harrison's rental story. The rules are being broken with these illegal, illegal rentals. You have to provide a secondary means of egress because of fire. That window in the basement doesn't look like it would cut it. City bylaw and fire departments should get on this. Uh, yeah, are they, Harrison, or has this just sort of been a thing where they're all just letting it go? Well, I think if these landlords were interested in following the rules, we wouldn't see these listings in the first place. We've long since passed, you know, rules governing how these landlords are going to operate. These slumlords don't care much about the rules. Uh, but yeah, I can't. Uh, it's a bit of a nightmare spot that basement apartment to be in. And um, I mean, of course, it's against the rules, obviously. All right. Well, that does it for us. My thanks to you, Sue Ann Levy, and you, Harrison Faulkner, and all of you who tuned in for listening to this program. Just a reminder, everything you've heard in the last however long we've been doing this was off the record.
Now you get to jump in the pool, Sue Ann. Not quite. I got to have my lunch first. But um, we just do lunch in the pool. Do like a swim up bar. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much. That was so much fun. Sorry about the mic issues. Stuck to the tea, Andrew. This time I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. It's my uh, my morning coffee still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have any. I don't think I don't have anything good to add to that side. I'm 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 teetotaling it. So I'm doing the uh, the Deepen Baker teetotal. So I've just I like it. Yeah, you, you're oh you're a lucid and sound mind whenever we do this show. <laughs> Sober second mm-hmm. thought. Uh, yeah. for uh, Oh, there we go. That, that's 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 the that's the second name of the show. If we rebrand it, Sober second <laughs> thought. Second thought. Yeah. Yeah.